morning. My name is Brandon, and I'm one of the leaders here at Ethos. So glad to be here with you today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, continuing our, our study through the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's on page 815. If you're using one of our Bibles, feel free to get up and grab one. There are the different communion tables around the room. Love for you to read along with us. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, a couple things as you guys are turning there. Hey, if you are new to Ethos, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we hope that you find this to be a safe and welcoming place for you to come to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, as King and friend. And we're just delighted that you made the choice to be here this morning. Um, we're a bunch of imperfect people that are trying to love our perfect Heavenly Father, trying to love each other. And so if you are imperfect, you're in the right company. And uh, we're glad you're here this morning. You guys doing well today? Yeah. Okay. Um, a few other things. Grow classes officially started this past week. And so in the summer, we like to, um, to take the months of June and July and to give people in our church that are just gifted and um, have passions and um, areas of expertise and just give them the ability to teach. And so um, we have people that are teaching on all different nights of the week, different classes. And I invite you to go online, grow.ethoschurch.org, grow.ethoschurch.org, and just check out our grow class that, that they're just so incredible. In fact, if you're a grow class leader, would you just raise your hand? I know that there are several... Um, yeah, people that are leading, raise them up high. Russ, that's not high enough. There you go. Okay. So there are a lot of people in here that, that are leading. If you want to get involved, I'd love for you to, to join one of those. Um, hey, I had a, a friend that he and his wife there are missionaries in Haiti, and they're up um, just having a, a, a week off just from the work and the grind. And he texted me late last night and said, hey, we're in need of two suitcases. Um, they're going to take some stuff back to Haiti, and they just, they don't have suitcases to, to do that. And so um, if you have a suitcase or two, would you come find me when we get done today? Aaron has one. Anybody else? Yeah. Any other takers? Anybody else? Okay. Devin, Rachel. Um, yeah. Come find me afterwards and we can figure out how to connect and get those before they go back on Wednesday this week. Um, Taylor and Gentry got engaged a couple weeks ago. And uh, you excited, Gentry? Good. Okay. <laughs> Taylor and Gentry serve on the coffee team here, just amazing volunteers, and uh, excited for them. And I want to introduce you to my intern for the summer, Bryant Lesh. He's going to be, no one's excited about Bryant. That was, man, you're way more excited about marriage than you are interns. Uh, so, but Bryant, uh, Bryant's going to be working with me this summer. He typically goes to the cannery at five o'clock. He runs cross country at Lipscomb and interested in doing ministry. And so if you see him around, make him feel welcome. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, let's go. I want to read our text. i got some things to cover this morning. A lot of you guys have been traveling. Glad that you're back. A lot, of, a lot of new faces as well. Good to see you this morning. This is Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 1. says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4. You know, when you think about your life and the people around you, the people that you really care about, when you dream about the person that you want to become, the things that you want to accomplish, the things that you want to overcome, the things that you want to see come to fruition in you and in those around you that you care for, what what keeps you from being hopeful? As you think about your life, as you think about the people around you that you love dearly and the things that you want to do in life, what keeps you from being hopeful that those things will actually happen? What puts out the fire inside of you to keep striving for those things? Is it failure? Is it resistance? Is it fear? Is it seeing no progress? The reason I start here is because the the 16 verses that we're going to be looking at this morning, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote these, He gives us this beautiful glimpse of of what the church can be. And I don't think as Paul was writing this, he was just wishful thinking off in some dream fairy world. I think that, uh, picture this, Paul is under house arrest. He's probably sitting at some wooden desk with a little candle on the the edge of it. And he had just got off his knees from from praying for these Christians that he was about to send this letter to these people that he he loved so dearly that he wanted to see succeed in the kingdom of God. And he gets off of his knees. And I think God was giving him a picture of what God wanted the church to be. What God wanted the church to do. And it's beautiful. And yet, as I was writing sermon this week as I was reading through this passage of scripture. I go, man, I'm just wrestling with this. Will the church ever do this? Will we actually ever live into this fully? Do we even think that it's possible? Will ethos be this kind of a church? These are the questions I've been wrestling with as I've been thinking about this text and, and, and pulling it into our lives. And there are three movements that I, I saw in this text. And this isn't gospel. These are just some things that I, I saw that will hopefully help us organize. And so verses one through six is all about the oneness that we share. Verses seven through 11 is about the differences that we have. 12 through 16 is all about the directives that we've been given. And so the oneness, the differences, and the directives. Let's talk about this first idea of the oneness that we share first. And so Paul, I don't know if you you picked up on this or not. Someone smarter than me had to point this out to me because I didn't pick it up. But the the first three chapters of of Ephesians are all about identity. Paul doesn't give one command in the first three chapters. It is all about, Deb, you are seated with Christ. And Zach, you've been saved. And Anna, you've been been, been lifted into heavenly places. And and he he looks at us and he speaks about our our sonship and our daughtership, who we are and what we have to look forward to. And then in in chapters four, five, and six, it it shifts. It's, It's no longer about identity. It's about instruction. And the first thing that Paul writes as he, as he shifts into this application for the people of God, do you notice what he, what he, what he calls and he invites and he elevates as the, the utmost of importance? Unity. 
and oneness. It's so easy for us to read texts like this and for it to just feel so disconnected, for us to miss what was going on in the first century when Paul was actually writing this letter. You know, it's so easy for us to read this and just to assume that it was a completely homogenous church, that that everyone looked alike and thought alike and came from the same place. But the reality is this church that Paul was writing to, these groups of churches, they are just like us, full of people with different backgrounds, different stories. Person sitting next to you with a different upbringing than yours. Churches full of people that, that some grew up were, were well familiar with the scriptures and some showed up and this was the very first time they were hearing it. Some grew up in homes with a very loving mother and father that taught them the ways of God. Some grew up in homes that didn't have any of that. He's writing to a group of Christians who some were interested in politics and foreign policy. Some cared less. Some could care less. He's writing to a group of Christians and, and some were engaged in culture, not in a bad way. And some were recluse from culture. And he's writing to this diverse group of people that saw the world differently because of the things that they had experienced, the life experiences that they had. And Paul says, unity. thinking about the church over the years, I remember taking a class when I was studying, Ben, you probably remember this, when we were studying to, to do ministry, and this is the class on the history of Christianity, and I was just blown away, because, man, the, the, the church for the past 2,000 years, ever since Jesus established it, man, we have fought, and we have split, and I'm not just saying they, I'm saying we, because I, and we have been a part of it just as much as anybody. We have fought, and we have split, and it seems that we are anything but united, seems that we are anything but one. And Paul says, you've got to understand what unites you. The oneness that you have, the things that you, you share. And I, and I love this list. And we're so tempted just to skip past it and, and, and to miss the beauty. He says, church, you are one body. And you have one hope. You have the same hope of, of life forever with God. You have one Lord, this, the Jesus Christ. You have, you have one Father. You have one faith. You've been given one baptism. You share these crucial and beautiful things. He says you have to know and understand these things that have brought you together, that unify you. Because if you don't, things will pull you apart. Lesser things will turn you against each other. He says, until you understand you have the same faith, the same baptism, the same Lord, the same spirit, the same father, you're part of the same body. You will bite and claw and turn against each other. He says, but when you understand what you share with the person sitting next to you who's in the family of God, it's enough to sustain you. Here's the reality. We could fight all day if we wanted to. And we could find things that we disagree on. In this church and in the global church, there are Democrats and there are Republicans and there are every other party that you could think of. And we could fight about that. How could you vote that way? How could you see things that way? How in the world, how could you be so insensitive? How could you, how could you, how could you? And we could fight all day long. In this church and in the church, there are so many ways of interpreting scripture. 
what we believe about communion, how often you should take it, and when you should take it, and the sacredness of what happens when you're taking it. We can fight about baptism. And we can fight about women. And we can fight about alcohol. And we can fight about predestination. And we can fight and we can come with our guns up ready to go. And the truth is the church has for a very long time. And I wonder what the world looks at us and sees. More than that, I wonder what God looks at us and sees. He says, when you understand what you have in common, that you're part of the eternal family of God, that you are forever sons and daughters, that Drew and David, you might not like each other, you might not vote the same, but you're going to spend eternity together. And Christopher and Josh and Craig and Douglas and Emily. We're sons, we're daughters. We share the same father, the same heavenly father. We share the same Lord. We have the same spirit. And when you understand this, what we really have in common, it calls us to walk with our spiritual family even when they don't see things like you do. It calls us, listen to this, this hurts, hurts me, stepping on my own toes. It calls you to seek, to listen and hear and to truly desire where other people are coming from instead of just worrying about airing your opinions and you being right. Church, when we understand what we have in common, it is strong enough to keep us together that we don't give up on each other, that we don't turn our backs when things upset us, we don't turn against each other, we stand together. We walk through this life together. And I think Paul gives us some very good instruction on how to posture ourselves in verses two and three, and you can go and read those. You will know what it looks like to put yourselves in a position to be a part of a family that will last. Read verses two and three. This is the oneness that we share, verses 7 through 11, is the differences that we have. And this has uh, nothing to to do with uh, with our interpretations and our preferences in worship or the way we read Scripture. No, this is talking about us as a body and how Christ has given each one of us who are a, a part of the kingdom of God, how he has given us to this body and to the greater church body and how he has made each of us different. And that difference is a wonderful thing. I want you to hear this. This is what Paul says. Verse 11. You are a gift to the body of Christ. And Devin, you are a gift to this body. And Kate, you are a gift to this body. If you're sitting here this morning, you are a gift from Jesus Christ to the body of Christ. Before we, 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 we move on, I think Paul would say, you, you have to understand this about yourselves and about every other person in the room with you. If you don't understand that you are a gift from God, you'll undervalue yourselves. If you don't understand that the person beside you is a gift from God, you'll undervalue that person. 
Think about ourselves for a minute. We so often undervalue ourselves. If Christ thought you were important enough to die for and to pursue and to wake up and to save and to entrust you with his Holy Spirit, if Christ thought you were important enough to give to this church, to this body, then we think you're pretty dang important too. Marianne, if, if Christ thought those things of you, we think those things of you. I was driving to work earlier this week and I literally saw the billboard. And if, if this is your company, we can talk about it later. I think it's poor marketing. I don't think it is, but maybe it is. But the, the sign, it, it literally said, it's all your fault. I'm like, what a pick me up. <laughs> it's all your fault. And how often do we bring that into when we come together? Do you realize that all of us have missed it this week in so many ways? Not a person here this morning that doesn't need his grace. We come here and we hang our heads. It's all our fault. And Christ says, no, I've saved you. And I don't care what week you've had, I've cleansed you. And I don't care where your heart is right now, I've secured it. And you are mine and you matter and you belong. We have to understand this about ourselves. And we have to understand this about the person sitting next to us. We live in such a culture about, that is just revolved around us. It is all about the individual. And we so often forget out the person sitting next to us. Paul would invite us to understand the intrinsic value of the person sitting next to us. To not worship that person. You spend time with, with people in this church and I, and I guarantee you, you're going to leave and you're going to go, wow, man. Hang out with Ben for a while. Hang out with Aaron for a while. Hang out with Lori for a while. Hang out with Amos for a while. Hang out with Andrew. Hang out with Mike and Laura. Hang out with, with people who follow Jesus. Hang out with Dev and Rachel for a while. Hang out with Hannah for a while. And you hang out with people that, that love Jesus and you leave and, you, and, and our temptation is go, man, they are, they are amazing. They have, the, they have it figured out. They are walking in places with God that I'm not. And, and Paul says, no, rightfully assess where people are, that they matter, but do not worship them. Worship the one who gave them to this body. And so it allows us to go, man, Drew's amazing. For all the things that he does for the kingdom. But when we think about Drew, we think about Jesus because Jesus is the one that gave him to us. We value each other. Verse 11, Paul will talk about five roles. I got to speed up. Um, I believe that, that, that these are all roles that Jesus played in his ministry and that each of us has been given a role to play in the kingdom. And so I, I, we don't have time to, 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 to argue about these things. And I'm not saying this is absolutely how it's true, but this is the way that I read this, uh, the, verse 11, that, that each of us has been given a part of Jesus' ministry. And only when, when we all come to the table and give what we've been given, we get an accurate picture of Jesus. So he says that, that there are apostles and that there are prophets and there are evangelists and there are, are shepherds and there are teachers and I believe that all five of these gifts are still alive, that, that every person that's sitting in this seat, that, that Christ Jesus himself has given you one of these roles to play. And when you fully live into it, we get a better picture of Jesus. 
And so when you think about apostles, I don't want you to think about the people who walked with Jesus in the first century. Those people are, are, are no longer here. But I want you to think about the type of person that, that understands the, the call to break into new terrain, the people who are willing to, to leave the comfort of home, to, to go and reach those who don't yet know. Apostles are those who are willing to expand the kingdom through going. And some of you sitting this morning, this is a way that God has wired you that you wake up in the morning and you think about the ends of the earth and you don't care about the things that are tying you down here. All you care about is reaching the world for Christ. And some of you have been given this apostolic gift. And we need you to lean in and to embrace. Some of you have been given the, the prophetic. Prophets are those who, who question and who reform. There's nothing wrong with you. So often prophets, the way that they're wired, they're first to notice, they're first to feel, they're first to be burdened when something is wrong and the first ones to bring it into the light. Prophets stand before God and they share with the people. They're often the ones that notice something in you and in me that we're not quite seeing. Some of you are prophets and we need you to lean in. Some of you are evangelists. You have such favor with people that don't know Jesus. That your coworkers and your neighbors, none of them believe, but they love being around you. And that is a gift from Jesus. That is exactly the way that he lived his life. And we need you to live into being an evangelist. There are some of you who are shepherds. A shepherd is all about providing for the flock and protecting you care deeply about the person sitting next to you and the divorce and the struggle and the pain that's in their heart so much so that you're having a hard time even concentrating. You're well aware of the things that are going on in this room. Some of you are wired to be shepherds and we need you to lean in. Some of you are wired to be teachers. This is all about explaining and training that you help people understand and go deeper in the revealed truth of God. And I believe that God has gifted each one of us in one of these ways. What is important that God has given these things, but why is it important? I think is an even more important question. Verses 12 through 16, I'll just hit on this real quick. He says, to, he, he gives the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the body for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up so we might mature. If we don't understand that we need each other, if we don't understand that, that we're made to help each other, we'll miss it. So I remember when Court and I were in premarital counseling and our, our counselor noticed uh, just a, a drastic difference in, in the way that we just perceive life. And I'm such a, an idea. I just, I love the thought of, oh, let's, let's do this and let's try this. And, and Court is so much more just analytical that she'll, she'll think about, hey, okay, how do we make this idea and, and bring it down to the ground? How do we, you know, what are you not thinking through? And he said, hey, I, I'm noticing this. Like you remember us having this conversation? And, and he, he said, if you, under, if, if you go into marriage, Brandon, living in the clouds, it's always going to feel like Courtney is attacking you and raining on your parade. He said, you have to understand that, that, that as you are, are, are dreaming, that God has given you this amazing woman that thinks differently and perceives things differently. And she's going to help you get those ideas into reality. And he says, if you understand that, that you're not working against each other, but that together you complement each other beautifully, 
And it's given us such a great picture for marriage. Nine years we've been walking together. And in the same way as, as Paul talks about these five different roles that each of us carry in the body of Christ, he says you, you have to understand that, that your role and your gifting is no different and no better than the other person, than the other. That God doesn't have special favor on evangelists or special favor on teachers. No, his special favor is on each of us. And what this means is that we have to listen to each other. For the apostles to say, man, I think we need to start another church. We need to start a church in my neighborhood because my neighbors won't drive to, to Marathon. And all of us go, yes, you're right. And for the prophets to say, hey, we're, we're missing it. We're not caring for the poor. And we're meeting in a neighborhood where we barely even know the neighbors. We're missing it. And we say, you're right. And for the evangelists to say, do you realize that there are so many people out there that don't know Jesus, that, that, that have been misinformed, and we have got to reach them. And we say, you're right. And the shepherds say, we've got to care for the people that are here. That they have real issues that we really need to address that are hurting and struggling. And we say, yes, you're right. And the teachers say, we, we need to know what God wants. Because if we don't, we'll just go along with culture. And what hit me this week about this text is that it is all about giving and receiving. That only when we give what we've been, what we've received from God, and only when we're willing to receive from others, is the body of Christ really mature. Our goal is to live and to become like Jesus. Our goal is for us to become like Jesus, and we cannot do that by ourselves. I love verse 16, and then we'll, we're almost done. Paul says this from him, from Jesus. all this is from him, that he has put you in the body, that he has given you the gift that you have. He's wired you the way that he wanted you. And it's all from him, his wisdom, the desire in, in Jesus' heart for us to really like, to, to become like him and to know the father like him and to walk in holiness like him and to reach the lost like him. And he did this. It means that we worship him. And we love him. And we fall on our knees in awe and praise and gratitude and dependence for what Christ has done. And we do it together. But this church needs you. Every single one of you. That if you're not contributing if you're not giving the, the things that God has wired you to do, the body is suffering. And we can't grow lazy. And we can't give up. We can't lose hope. We can't quit striving to become this church that God wants us to be. And the way that he ends this little section, each part must do its work.
and must do it in love. You're like, okay, Brandon, this is, this is, you know, this is all well and good, but how do we do this? Like, we put that slide up for me real fast. Whoever, Joey, Kelly, thank you. Some of you are going to hate this. And uh, I hope that you'll come back even if you do hate it. Um, I want to invite you to, you know, to write this down, take a picture of it. This is, this is just a tool to help you understand maybe the way that you are wired. And we can put this on a blog for those of you who are too cool to write it down right now and um, so you can, can see it. But, but I would love for, for each of you just to, to go and to, to go on this link and just to take, it won't take you very long, just to take this test. And it's, it's not like this is um, the, the end all be all, but it will give you a way to, to, to think, hey, how does God wire me? Am I more like an evangelist, more like a shepherd? Am I more like an apostle? The first thing I invite you to do is just to into a, a, a season of discovery. You might be surprised the way that God has wired you. You can take that down. Thanks, Joey. And the, the second thing I want to invite you into is to, into a season of, of being dispatched. So that you would pray this week, God, God, show me how to give of myself to you and to the body each day this week. Show me how to lean into the way that you've wired me to bless and to build up the body. And I think we have to understand this, that it is not just about Sundays. That Sundays are an incredibly important part of what we do, but it's not the only thing. We spend a lot more time outside these walls than we do in them. And for you to embrace your apostolic, your prophetic, your evangelistic, your shepherd, your teacher gift. It gives life and color. Having a conversation with Chris Kenny this week, and, and it's amazing. He was telling me about one of his coworkers just going through something. In the middle of work, he just said, hey, can I pray for you? I know this is weird. We probably shouldn't be doing this at work. Can I just pray for you? And it blessed the woman so immensely, in fact, that she went and told her friends, and, and her friends came and said, hey, are you the guy that's praying for people? It's important. Think about all of you guys who are leading grow classes. You're leaning into your passions and your gift and things that make you come alive to help other people be more fully equipped to live into the body of Christ. Thank you. I think about all of you who are stay-at-home moms, and this is close to my heart because it's my wife's story. You know, yesterday I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do some work and my head was hurting and I'm just not feeling well. And I, and I tell Court, she said, hey, do you want me to pray for you? I'm like, yeah. And Court says, Finley Jones, come in here. We're going to pray for dad. The way she's teaching them the word, memorizing scripture. And sometimes it doesn't feel like much, but it matters. It matters when you're giving your life to God. God, you can have all of me. And what will he do with it? Okay, I'm talked enough. Let's pray, we'll take communion. God, thank you for this amazing family. I pray you would protect us from Satan. You would fill us with your spirit. That as we break the bread, that you would help us to know your love for us. Thank you for who you are, for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.